I suspect this podcast is going to be full of rather bad American accents. <laughs> we may as well start off. This is why I've chosen to do a Brit, actually. Oh, hold on. How, how have you managed to, to, to justify that? Uh, he was in America. <laughs> he watched American TV shows. Yeah, he was a big fan of The Wire. And <laughs> <laughs> Once watched a Hollywood film. Okay, yeah. that well, that's tenuous. Uh, set of three. Three. Uh-huh. Two. Two. Oh, yeah. Hello, Tom. Hello, Sam. How are you? Oh, I'm good, Tom. I'm good, what? and I'm ready to celebrate the U.S. of A. Oh, and you're, yeah. doing, you're doing a bad Elvis impression to start off the Is podcast. There, there's, there's no other kind of Elvis impression. <laughs> yeah, that's true. The best Elvis impression is done by an Englishman in the Costa del Sol. That's yep, the absolutely. best Elvis impression. <laughs> the best Elvis is the worst Elvis. The, yeah, and, and it's the ones where you really, really emphasise the Elvis. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Oh, I bless my soul, what's wrong with me? That's actually surprisingly good Elvis. Did you quite like that? That would fit right in on the Spanish coast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Maybe I should. With all the British expats. And something on the side. Oh, a little step on my blue suede shoes. And speaking of British expats, what's our topic this week, Tom? It, <laughs> nice. It's <laughs> Americans. We're doing Americans, which is a risk, as I think we alluded to at the end of our last podcast, it's a risky business, isn't it? Because I think you have the statistics which suggest that our biggest listeners come from the States. Indeed, Tom. Our biggest listeners come from the States, and probably <laughs> most of them. <laughs> Excellent. You can't do me, but I'm doing a swing and a hit home run motion here. So I managed to get a fat joke in within about 15 seconds of the Brilliant. podcast starting. I apologise in advance to all of our American listeners. Uh, we love you dearly, but I'm sure you're aware of British sarcasm. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, Even if you are supersized. Even if you're big boned. <laughs> We're not judging. We're laughing with, not at. So we've already called Americans fat. How would you think of tuned out? already (laughs) well we should probably tell them what they're tuning into tom shouldn't we yes i forget to do this every week we need to describe what this podcast is welcome to episode 21 21 21 old enough to do so much a little history podcast in which tom and i two friends on different sides of the world i'm in the uk he's in new zealand discuss history stories on a theme each week this week the theme is america america god bless america god Bless America. And how have you found this one, Tom? This week was absolutely exceptional because I was I, I start off on the weekend doing a little bit of research about, you know, what could I do? And I start exploring some ideas. And within 10 minutes, I came across a brilliant, brilliant, brilliant topic. And it was something that I knew about from a documentary I remember watching when I must have been about 14. I looked it up straight away and it is a fantastic story. You, I think you are going to love this. Fantastic. So it's a documentary you discovered at 14, and which porn star does it feature? No. <laughs> no. It was a history documentary. <laughs> we were such cool kids, weren't we? Yeah, I was, well, I wasn't too bad, Sam, I'll have you know. I do distinctly remember my first day in history class with you at college, um, where everyone had to introduce themselves with an interesting fact, and I seem to remember you saying, oh, hello, my name is Sam, and um, I shot the sheriff, but I didn't shoot the deputy. <laughs> <laughs> to the whole class to which everyone just sort of looked around (laughs) and the fun fact is that I did but no one could prove it (laughs) there you go so yes I had a really good this was a a great story I'm looking forward to to talking about this one how about you excellent well to, to be honest Tom do you know what I've actually struggled a little bit but for good reasons I've struggled because there are so many things and so many different avenues that I've gone down and thought oh this would be brilliant I was looking at American serial killers for a while. Light entertainment, Sam. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) Absolutely. Go straight for the serial killers. (laughs) And then kind of strange religious cults and and religious communities, but then we kind of did that a couple of weeks ago. And, And so in the end, I've gone down the route of American states that aren't or weren't American states. Oh, that's a good idea. Yeah. The less United States of America. Now, well, I actually, uh, one thing that was highlighted when I started researching this is actually my, my American history knowledge is not very good. No, no, mine's... I was listening to a podcast about Ulysses Grant. What was his first name? 
John Ulysses Grant. Ulysses Grant. I was listening to a podcast about him, and it just made me realise how little I know about US history. Ulysses Mm. S. Grant, that's who it was, the 18th US president. It was quite interesting going on a few segues and just finding out a bit more about American history. Absolutely. I didn't really realise just how complicated the early years of American history were. Oh, yeah. And how incredibly diplomatically complicated and underhanded it was, how many different vying factions and personalities. You get this image from Hollywood of of America as this country that declared independence and rose up and that was it. And that was America. And then it expanded and you had the kind of the the settlers and the great look west and the the great migrations. And that was kind of American history. But it's so much more complicated and nuanced than that. What I found out, which was fascinating, just a a little tidbit, was during the presidency and during the time of uh, Ulysses S. Grant, the Democratic Party was actually far more right-wing than the Republican Party, and it was the Democratic Party yes. that were more opposed to racial equality and things like that, and gender equality as well. Yeah, there's been a bit of a flip over the years, hasn't there? Yeah. Talking about presidents, so have you ever seen the series Arrested Development, Tom? I've heard of it, but I haven't. it's very popular, isn't it? Yeah, it's very I popular. have heard of it. There is a character called Tobias in there, and one of the running jokes is that Tobias is what's called a never-nude. And he's he's got a rare psychological condition, which means that he will never be seen naked by anyone. And he always wears a pair of cut off denim shorts, really short denim shorts underneath whatever he's wearing. And there was an American president. Can't be comfortable. (laughs) (laughs) No, (laughs) there was an American president who was a never nude. It was Ulysses S. Grant. No, get out of here. It was. It was Ulysses S. Grant was a never nude. (laughs) He was a never nude. He would never be seen naked by anyone, including uh, physicians and his wife. Do you think it's on his gravestone? Ulysses S. Grant, still clothed. <laughs> yeah, you'll <laughs> never see my slong. <laughs> still wearing my slacks. <laughs> well, that is a very... In- how many interesting facts? We've just said that we didn't know much about American history, and we're just banging out the interesting facts about Ulysses S. Grant. Bang, bang, bang. <laughs> Anything more we got? Bang, bang, bang. Uh, not on Ulysses S. Grant, no. But I mean, we can oh. talk about Ulysses, can't we? I mean, that that we know something about, having done classics. <laughs> but but we're yeah. so down with the kids. <laughs> <laughs> right. Uh, well, having just nailed that, what are we going to flip? What are we going to flippity dip? What are we going to flip? Okay, uh, I tell you what, I'm going to flip, Tom. A little known but probably unsurprising fact about me: I'm I quite like 3D printing things. Oh, do you? Yeah, I've got a Very little nice. 3D printer on my desk. What, what was the last thing you've 3D printed? I'm holding it right now, Tom. It's a boat. Oh. Uh, so we're going to flip the boat today. Would you like it to land upside down so that the bottom bit, the hull, if you like, in nautical terms... Oh, that was pointed... technical. The I know, what? right? <laughs> <laughs> or would you like it the right way up so the livingy bit where people live <laughs> on, on the boat... Is facing up. Which would you like me to flip, Tom? I would like the steppy aroundy bit, the livy steppy aroundy bit. The deck, if you will. Yes. Whoa, okay. Whoa, 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 whoa. Let's I know, slow I know. down. <laughs> Let's slow down with this nautical stuff. For anyone out there who's who's listening who doesn't know what a boat is, um, it's... <laughs> <laughs> oh dear. Right. If you flip that boat. Go on. I'm, gonna flip I'm, going, this. I'm going for the deck. You're going for the deck. Why the fuck I'm going for the deck? So presumably there's a mast that will stop it from ever landing on the deck. But anyway. You win. Ah! Oh, it, it landed on the deck. Oh, well, this is a difficult one. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go first, Sam, because I'm so excited about telling you about this chap, this American chap. Go on then, Tom. Go on. So before I start, I think we did allude at the, at the start, maybe, I think before actually the podcast started rolling, that we. I'm going to apologise in advance. I am going to do lots of American accents. I can't mm-hmm. tell you whereabouts in America those accents come from. I've just probably <laughs> heard them in a film or maybe... I'm going to imagine, Tom, the way you do them. Nowhere in America is where those accents are from. <laughs> yes. And, and I'm not going to apologise, Sam. I, I think my American accents are fantastic. I'm fairly sure they're not, though, you know, really. And um, I'm not going to apologise because the Americans are notorious for doing really shit English accents, aren't they? Is this payback for Dick Van Dyke in uh, well, Mary Poppins? <laughs> Dick Van Dyke is the prime example, isn't it? The best example. And that's what most Americans... Seem to think English people speak like, don't they? <laughs> Mary Poppins, stepping time. <laughs> so yes, and, and they, so they all sort of think we speak like. Oh no, what do they think we speak like? Hello, I'm from England. 
Would you like to come to the pub with me? Let's drink some tea and get rained on and have terrible teeth. Oh, yes. Mm, this, uh, I'm from London town. I like eating gizzards. <laughs> What's a gizzard? Intestines. Tripe. That's what I thought it you was. You know, the good, sh- the good shit. <laughs> yeah, the good stuff. The good stuff they sometimes forget. To tell you is in your pie. <laughs> and your sausages. Oh, no, that'd be a very pricey sausage if it's got some, in- some gizzards in it. Yeah, absolutely. Nothing better than nipples and nostrils in mine. Very good. So, anyway, I'm not going to apologise for American accents. Let me set the scene for my story, Sam. 1976, it's season four of the cult American television series The Six Million Dollar Man, and it's been shot in Los Angeles. <laughs> okay. Now, have you have you ever watched The Six Million Dollar Man? I've heard of it, but I've never seen an episode. No, I haven't either. I love that you're doing... A TV series, a 1977 TV series, as the basis for your historical story today. Oh, I really, wait, I really Sam, enjoy that. You wait until you see where this goes, <laughs> and I've told, I've pre-warned you. This is a fantastic story. You wait to see where this goes. It's ironic right, because mine's set in Texas in the 1960s, and is about a guy who's shot, and then he wakes up and it's all a dream. His name's Jr. or something like that. Oh, I yeah, yeah. excellent. <laughs> Six million dollar man. It's about a NASA astronaut called Colonel Steve Austin. Not the noughties wrestler, Stone Cold Steve Austin, I don't think. Maybe he's named after him. I don't know. Colonel Steve Austin, and he's played by an actor called Lee Majors. Not Leo Majeure either, Sam. Similar, but not the same. Nice throwback to our pilot episode. Yes. Which, by the way, is hilarious, and you should definitely check out. It, it is. Yes. Certainly, the, the yes, Leo Majors' best mate is quite amusing. This Colonel Steve Austin is involved in an accident, and he's rebuilt with bionic limbs and a super fancy eye. And there's an episode that was being shot in season four called Carnivore of Spies. And in this episode, our hero, Steve Austin, discovers an East German plot to blow up a new B-2 bomber using a device that has been hidden in various carnival rides, which got me thinking. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. got me thinking. It sounds a little bit Scooby-Doo, doesn't it? It does. And also nothing says destroying the American military's new prototype by hiding a bomb in a fairground. (laughs) Absolutely. Well, I was thinking things like shooting a massive bumper car out of a human cannon (laughs) (laughs) or or flinging explosive candy floss out of a teacup ride. The Soviets just with a great big hook on a stick, just reaching into the hangar and trying to like hook out the bomber. (laughs) Trying to pull it out. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. winning a goldfish instead yeah. yeah coming away with the goldfish so very interesting plot anyway one of the film crew is investigating a ride called laugh in the dark when he bumps into a wax mannequin of a man hanging from a noose basically you know a wax mannequin of a, of a corpse being hung so he bumps into it this mannequin's looking a little bit worse for wear the arm falls off to reveal Muscle fibres and bones, Sam. Muscle fibres and bones. So it wasn't a wax mannequin. So this body is so taking... So this, this is one of the film crew who discovered this whilst researching for the programme. This isn't part That's, of the programme, just to clarify. No, this is not... Absolutely, no, this is not part of the, fi- the programme. This is what happened behind the scenes. So this body is then... It's established it is actually a body. It's taken to the Los Angeles coroner's office and the following things are revealed, Sam... This is like Poirot, isn't it? This is just like a murder mystery. Are you on the edge of your seat? I am, although you've mentioned the one non-American murder mystery TV programme other than Midsummer Murders. You could have gone... <laughs> I could have gone for... Like, yeah, well, I've never Ms. watched Marple. any of the American ones. <laughs> Ms. Ma- is she American? Diagnosis murder, Tom. It's fucking, let's, bring Dick, let's bring Dick back into this. Oh, he is. That's right, Dick Van Dyke. It's like diagnosis it? murder. In fact, it really is like diagnosis murder. In fact, I think possibly you're... Now revealing an actual plot to an actual episode of Diagnosis Murder. He's got a good chin, hasn't he, Dick Van Dyke? Great chin. Superb really chin. strong chin. Not built for a British accent, that chin. No, 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 no. It, yeah, not built for British. Despite looking like Jimmy Hill. <laughs> oh, well, I was about to say, you're Bruce Forsyth. <laughs> nice to see you, to see you nice. Good game, good game. For those listeners who have never heard who Bruce Forsyth <laughs> is, legendary, legendary entertainer. Who has been going... He died recently, didn't he? A couple of years ago. He did. In his late 80s? He's been going since the bloody... Oh, 40s? 50s? He was still presenting, wasn't he? Right up until he died. Yeah. On the British version of Dancing with Stars, which is called Strictly Come Dancing. Anyway, 
So, what they found out. This individual had died from a gunshot wound to the chest. The body was completely petrified. It was covered in a layer of wax. It had been painted. There was still hair visible in areas. The ears, big toes and fingers were missing. And tests showed that there was arsenic present. Now, what we, what we know, or what was known at the time, is that arsenic was used in embalming fluids up until the late 1920s. The individual had tuberculosis. The bullet jacket was discovered. And it was the type of bullet that was used between around 1905 and 1940. And inside the mouth of this body was a 1924 penny and a ticket stub from the Lewis Sonny Museum of Crime. Wow. Yeah, I thought you'd like this. I thought you'd like where this is going. pretty good. I'm enjoying this story. Yeah, uh, the relative of this Louis Sonny was contacted and he told the police that this was actually the body of one Elmer McCurdy, which was confirmed also by other means. So this is the story of Elmer McCurdy. Great American name. I know, I know. And I mean, it's the sort of name that plays the banjo in Deliverance, isn't it? Yeah, he's a guy who wears britches. <laughs> Did you, have you ever seen Deliverance? The kid who plays the banjo looks remarkably like Lance Armstrong. <laughs> <laughs> wow. It's there you go, why, Lance. Probably why he's so, he just keeps playing that fucking song. He just plays it all day long because he's got incredible stamina. Always injecting himself <laughs> with EPA. Yeah, so Elmer McCurdy. Um, Elmer McCurdy, we actually know quite a lot about Elmer McCurdy. And what we do know is he was a useless twat, Sam. Uh, he was a man so useless. He's he been dead for 50 years. He's not he going to be that helpful. He couldn't even die properly, Sam. He was that useless. Uh, I mean, to be fair, so... he, was making, he was a great funfair mannequin. Oh, wonderful. Until the useless bastard's arm fell off. <laughs> you, can, yeah, you can Google and you can actually see pictures of Elmer McCurdy when he was discovered. Uh, it's a revolting looking mannequin. <laughs> it really is pretty I'm fucking freaky. surprised. Freaking. It's just a guy coated in wax. A, a guy that spent years. his life being molested and fiddled with and <laughs> coloured in. Uh, it's, it's, it's an awful way to go, Sam. It's not a nice way to go. Anyway, so we know quite a lot about Alma McCurdy. So he does have quite an unfortunate background, but at the same time... Yeah, he was um, murdered. Ah, <laughs> oh. Now, was he, though, Sam? This oh. is what we're going to discover. So he's so useless that he shot himself in the chest after accidentally eating a penny, thinking it was the only way to cure himself. <laughs> Swallowing a ticket stub. <laughs> no, not quite. He was the illegitimate child of a 17-year-old Washington girl and possibly the result of a, a consanguineous relationship, Sam. Consanguineous? Yeah, she was po- quite possibly bonking her cousin. Oh, is that what that means? Yeah, more in bread than a sack of wheat, Sam. <laughs> <laughs> um, nice. That's a phrase I've never heard before, but I imagine it's quite common in New Zealand. Ha-ha, <laughs> <laughs> Well, I was going to go down the route, into talking of geographical stereotypes, I was going to go down the route of saying more more incestuous than a, than a family reunion in Alabama. Which I thought, I don't know, I, I understand that that's a funny joke in America. I don't know. Apparently Alabaman people are a bit inbred. It is a funny joke. Whilst you're talking, I'm just going to check our statistics and see how many listeners we have in Alabama. Um... <laughs> yeah, how many? Yeah. I don't, don't worry, Sam. I don't think podcast three. technology... <laughs> three! We've got three in Alabama. Shit. Sorry. I was about to make a joke about computers haven't arrived in Alabama yet. <laughs> anyway. We love you. We love you, Alabama. <laughs> Still receiving news on the Katie train. Um, anyway, so we do value you listeners in Alabama, by the way. Hopefully you like a bit of banter, you know, a bit of friendly banter. So he was born in 1880. By the age of 20, his real mother, adopted father grand and grandfather had died. And he Jesus. knew he was adopted by this point, but didn't know who his father was quite quickly turned to drinking and started being quite rebellious so he hasn't had the greatest not really start a surprise no, no, you can ex- no you can you can give him that one but that said sam i'm sure in this period there were a lot of people with that upbringing who didn't turn to a life of crime a life of crime as a young man he drifted from job to job continually having problems with his alcoholism and in 1907 he joins the u.s army and was based in fort leavenworth in kansas for around three years he w- worked as a machine gun operator 
and he had some training in the use of nitroglycerine, which is an explosive, although, as we will find out, probably not enough training. Uh, so, <laughs> in, in, in late 1910, he finds himself in a Kansas jail for carrying a bag full of gear that is clearly for robberies, and this is the start of the end for McCurdy. Just a, a bag marked swag. Yes, yeah. Well, no, it wasn't swag. It was nitroglycerin, hacksaws. And this is the start of the end for McCurdy. It's the start of his life turning to a life of crime. And you know what, Sam? Crime doesn't pay. The only bag <laughs> McCurdy was carrying was a first-class bag to a life of crime, Sam. <laughs> <laughs> Bad boys, bad boys, what you gonna do? What you gonna do when they come for you? Uh, so, how um, how long thought, have you been waiting to say that? <laughs> I wanted to do a Chief Wiggum style. <laughs> Make him away, toys. In the end, the only ticket he bought was a ticket straight to jail. Uh, so... So yes, McCurdy was a shit criminal. And this is the era of some pretty damn good criminals, Sam. This is the yes. era of Al Capone, Babyface Nelson, Bonnie and Clyde, Nucky yeah. Johnson. Nucky Johnson, that's um, Boardwalk Empire, isn't it? It's about Nucky Johnson. It is. Bugsy Siegel and John Dillinger. So lots of famous criminals come All from the this All the classics, the golden age of crime. Wonderful time, Sam. Beautiful time. More innocent time. You knew where you stood when the mafia were around, didn't you? You did. Al Capone was always good to his mother. I heard that about him, Tom. I heard that about him. It was a, a very generous tipper as well. Yeah, very, very generous. You always knew where you stood when Al Capone was around. There was never any crime. Never any crime was Al Capone around. Because he was fucking doing it all. <laughs> the Rhyme of American Friends, that's a classic thing that old Londoners say about the Crays, who were famous gangsters in London from the, in the 1950s, probably 50s and 60s. Yes, 60s, Notoriously yeah. horrible criminals. Absolutely brutal, but everyone loved them because they were very polite, nice to their mums. And, and there was no trouble when they were around because everyone was shit scared of them. <laughs> they were absolute psychopaths. Yeah, absolutely. And they had some horrible henchmen, didn't they? People who killed each other with pickaxes and horrible, horrible stuff. Mm. Where was I? March 1911, McCurdy and some chums decide to rob the Iron Mountain, Missouri Pacific train because they heard it contained $4,000. They stopped the train, located the safe, and McCurdy used his wonderful nitroglycerin skills to completely demolish the safe so that most of the money was destroyed <laughs> in a totally excessive blast. Much of the coinage was actually melted. Can we say melted. it together, Tom? You're only supposed to blow the bloody oh, doors off. Oh, don't get Sam! I was li- Oh, sorry, Tom. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'll, I've left I'll edit that one out. for later. You've got, ed- you're jumping ahead. I'll edit that out. I'll edit that out. Much of the coinage was actually melted to the inside of the remains of the safe, so they only get away with about $450. <laughs> he just went completely overboard with the nitroglycerin. In September 1911, he and some chums decided to rob a bank in a small town in Kansas. And the gang spent about two hours using hammers to get through a wall. So quite what the local people were doing, not to hear (laughs) a group of people (laughs) smacking at a wall with hammers all night. Um, I don't know. So I don't know how he managed to get away with that. But when they got through the wall, McCurdy was again turned to for his notorious nitroglycerin skills. He attempts to blow up the door to one of the bank vaults. And again, he uses too much nitroglycerin. So the door, the door is just blown straight through the building and demolishes the whole building. And um, <laughs> that's where I was going to crack through. You were only supposed to uh... blow the bloody doors off, joke. Where was I going? So yeah, they completely just smashes this door off. They then find a safe... And he again gets his nitroglycerin out, starts to put it away. It doesn't work. So the nitroglycerin does it, the fuse doesn't light. And so this time everyone just thinks, fuck this. You know, McCurdy's already fucked it up once. We're leaving. We're not going back towards that nitroglycerin if the fuse hasn't gone off. And they just decide, him and his chums decide to run off with $150. So that's all they made out of that burglary. October 1911, he and his gang attempt to rob a Katie train, and I referenced Katie train earlier on. That's the Missouri-Kansas-Texas railway line, and Katie uh, is just a shortening of 
Kansas, Texas, I think. They heard that it contained $400,000 as a royalty payment to the Osage Nation, which was one of the major Native American tribes. As far as I'm aware, it still is a major Native American tribe. Hmm. However, he stopped the wrong train. He stopped the passenger train. And get this, Sam, in, in, an, attempt, <laughs> in an attempt to steal $400,000, he gets away with $46 from a mail clerk, two demijohns of whiskey, <laughs> and the conductor's watch. <laughs> <laughs> totally useless criminal um, so, so you and I like you, you're self-employed I'm self-employed you know I like to see a return on my investment Sam if I'm going to take a risk like you know doing something that could get you arrested and I don't know what the punishment for it was but I'm fairly sure it would have been bad I want to get the rewards and McCurdy took great risks and got fuck all back for it <laughs> absolutely sod all back for it bless him he was just following the American dream I, I, yeah a few days later McCurdy is discovered by police who who's sniff him out with bloodhounds which by all accounts wasn't that hard to do because he was necking all the demijohns of whiskey that he'd stolen and he's sleeping in a hayloft and he's pissed as a fart and decides to shoot at the police. The police unload on him and he's killed by a bullet to the chest. Here you go, he's dead. Now, Sam, this yeah. is only part of the So the story. police killed him? Yeah, the police killed him in a shootout because they were getting shot at. Now, this yeah. is just the start of the story. This happened in 1911 and it took him 75 years to get buried. Let me tell you the story, Sam. Sit around, children, round the fire. <laughs> and I'll tell you the story of the gruesome half rotted man <laughs> <laughs> so McCurdy is taken to an undertaker who embalms his body whilst he uh, waited for an extra kin to request the body nobody requests him so what do you do Sam in this situation if you're an upstanding ethically minded member of society you dress him up put him on display outside your <laughs> premise and charge people to see him that's what you do isn't it <laughs> so America <laughs> oh, America God bless. God bless Daddy, can I have a photo with a body? <laughs> okay, son. Now you sit there and smile now. Daddy, can I put my finger in the bullety hole? Why, sure, son. <laughs> After we've done this, can we go to see a good lynching? I love a lynching. <laughs> <laughs> the American dream. Clearly, this was a brilliant idea. No ethical issues with this at all. Because the undertaker was constantly receiving offers for the corpse. He was receiving offers, not from relatives, but from circuses, carnivals, freak shows. Everyone wanted to get a hold of this corpse. Um, hot Why? Property. Why did they want the corpse of a shit criminal? I, well, I know, I know. Absolutely. And he was an, an appalling criminal. This era, from the sounds of it, and you, you presumably heard about some of the stuff, some of the freak shows and the carnivals that were touring the US at the time that were a little bit unsavoury. This era really does seem to be the origins of the honourable American pastime of gawking at the less fortunate, <laughs> a.k.a. Jeremy Springer. Uh, Jerry, Jerry Springer. Springer. Sorry, Jerry You're Springer. confusing Jer Jerry Springer and Jeremy Kyle because uh, yes, we friends, I am. we're not entirely innocent on account of gawping at the weirdos. It's true. But what a fusion of programmes that would be. Jerry Christ. Springer and Jeremy Kyle in one go. It'd be fantastic. Christ on a bike. I'd pay money to gawk at those wankers. Just strapping a lie detector to the corpse of El McCurdy. <laughs> <laughs> And having all the relatives fighting over it. You are the father of the child. Yeah, yeah. And indeed, the mother. Dun, 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 dun. So, in 1916, The Undertaker receives a few phone calls from people claiming to be McCurdy's relatives, and they demand the body and are duly given it. It turns out that they are the Patterson brothers, owners of a Kansas travelling carnival. <laughs> Damn, those Patterson brothers, they fooled me again. God Damn it, that's the sixth corpse this week. I've been done again. Bang, god damn. These guys keep coming back with a different shit disguise every time. <laughs> it's just like a, <laughs> a really bad stick on beard and some hair from one of the last corpses they took arranged in a Mexican moustache. My name is Mr. Burns. <laughs> You've come to collect McCurdy's body. Oh, no. It's my brother. He was very dear to me. Dear looks at hand. Elmer McCurdy. <laughs> I am so sad that he is dead. Please allow us to take him back to the family farm in McCurdy Town, where we will bury him with full honours. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. That is, that, that is remarkably accurate. 
the Batterson brothers, um, they're, they're even pretending they're going to take him to a different place. They're saying, oh, he's going to go home to this town. That's actually what we said. <laughs> it's like I was there. <laughs> it is absolutely like, like a fly on the wall. In 1922, this carnival, the Patterson brothers carnival, was sold to Lewis Sonny, who displays McCurdy in his museum of crime alongside waxworks of famous criminals. <laughs> alongside waxworks of better criminals. <laughs> yeah, of good, of proper criminals. Who people actually wanted their corpse. In 1928, it was displayed as part of the Trans-American Foot Race, which was a multi-day running race. And if our story about doping in the early years of the Tour de France from a previous podcast is anything to go by, the competitors were probably as alert as McCurdy's corpse by the end of the race, <laughs> probably showing about as much life. And so apparently it still goes on. Absolutely juiced to the gills. <laughs> yeah, the dope to the eyeballs. In 1930s, the corpse was displayed in cinemas alongside a film about the dangers of narcotics. Fantastic, just to really scare the oh. shit out of some students. <laughs> 1950s and 1960s, the body was stored in a warehouse before being sold to the owner of a Hollywood wax museum, alongside a load of other mannequins, sort of wax mannequins of famous criminals. So it's presumably at some point here, people have forgotten that it was actually a body. Did they ever check all of the other mannequins to make sure that they weren't harbouring criminals too? Yes, harbouring criminals. (laughs) The body was briefly used, and this was presumably in the 60s, in a show at Mount Rushmore before ending up in the Laugh in the Dark show at the Pike, which was an amusement zone in Long Beach, California. Maybe some of our listeners even went to the Pike because it's only, what, 50 years ago? Nothing funnier than a misfortunate man's body being mutilated, played with, and gawked at for 75 years. That is the story of Elmer McCurdy, Sam. Well, I, for one, Tom, hope that I can spend the next 75 years being mutilated and played with by the public for their enjoyment. Yes, sounds remarkably like dogging, doesn't it? (laughs) It does, doesn't it? It sounds remarkably like being a YouTuber. (laughs) Except that Elmer McCurdy probably didn't occasionally pipe up to deny the Holocaust, (laughs) which they all seem to accidentally do from time to time. Who's done that recently? What did did PewDiePie do? Was it PewDiePie? He occasionally does Nazi salutes and he's made various passing references to neo-Nazism. Who was the one that ended up in a Japanese forest where people commit suicide and they actually videoed the body of someone who'd commit suicide? Because yes. that's great fun, isn't it? Like, is, that Lo- is that Logan Paul? It's one of the Paul brothers. It was. It was Logan Paul. It was exactly... That's who it was. What a fucking twat. Imagine laughing at the strung up bodies of the dead, Tom. Ab- yeah, absolutely. Having just told I- your story. <laughs> I know. This, no, Sam. Completely different. Tom completely Paul, different. I shall now call this you Tom Paul. This is something that's happened, Sam. This is something that I, I played no role in it. I'm, I'm merely... A messenger of interesting historical stories. You certainly are, Tom. And that's a great historical story. So what happens, what's happened to the body now? Has he been returned to his rightful place in the museum? Uh, yeah, yeah he's, he's been returned to a carnival. His body was... Someone took responsibility for the body and it was buried. And But I think it was buried in a, in a load of concrete just to prevent those real weirdos from turning up and digging up the body. <laughs> and going, I love, oh, I love a nice body, nice corpse. It's like, um, you know, serial killers. So you you mentioned American serial killers at the start of the episode. There have been some famous British serial killers like uh, Fred West. His house had to be demolished brick for brick to prevent trophy hunters. Yes. What sort of weirdos are there out there that want a brick from the house of a serial killer who buried children under his floorboards for crying out loud? Yeah. I mean, you want the floorboards, surely. (laughs) There's no historical provenance in a brick. (laughs) Oh, you're a disgusting man, Sam. You're a disgusting, horrible man. So, yes, there you go. The the story of Elmer McCurdy. What I love about this story is it starts off so so Scooby-Doo. I mean, you said that the $6 million man plotline sounded like a Scooby-Doo plotline. The fact that they found a haunted funfair ride is very Scooby-Doo, except at the end of this episode of Scooby-Doo, when you pull off the mask, there's actually literally a dead body inside. Oh, yeah, there's a skull. <laughs> yeah, oh. <laughs> <laughs> And he would have got away with it as well if it wasn't for those meddling kids. <laughs> nice. So what I love about this is that there's nothing nefarious about this story whatsoever. It's just that people had forgotten that there was an embalmed man in their fun fair. Well, I, I think that became the case, but certainly, certainly in the first 30 or 40 years, I think they were fully aware it was someone's corpse, um, which is incredibly morbid. Anything for a laugh, Tom. Anything for a laugh. <laughs> horrible. It's a horrible story. At least they didn't put light bulbs in him and make him light up and speak. 
you imagine them doing that kind of like the, the Disney World tour with <laughs> this body? What's that like? It's so, a small world after all. <laughs> so, you, so, so you walk past him, he's got motion sensor, his limbs start moving around. <laughs> hey, what is the song from Pinocchio? That's what I'm imagining. I've got no strings, dig it. <laughs> <laughs> after the uh, film production manager bumped into him, I've got no limbs. <laughs> <laughs> Attached to my hips to make me move, make me anything. Give me shocks to make me twitch. <laughs> Give me shocks to make me twitch. <laughs> all new le- oh, all new levels of respect for the dead. <laughs> the happy tale of Elmer McCurdy. That's a that is a great story. It is. It's bizarre, isn't it? It's very odd. I, incidentally, it has. I have when I researched, I discovered it has been talked about in a number of other podcasts. But I thought it's too good. It's too good not to not to run with. So I hope our listeners haven't heard that story before. Um, but the story of Elmer McCurdy. Fantastic. Well, Tom, today I'm going to go. I'm going to talk about something completely different. I'm going to talk about some of the places in America that aren't places in America or are part of the states, because as I said earlier in the podcast. I didn't really appreciate, before I started researching this, just how confusing and muddled American history is and how unclear and fluid the early years of the Union were. So I'm going to talk today mostly about a place called the state of Muskogee, which is in Florida. It's in northwest Florida. Was in northwest Florida. Sounds like a point in Elmer McCurdy's decomposition. (laughs) (laughs) He's After just 20 the years, of he Muskegee. reached the state of McCurdy. <laughs> Muskegee, yeah. Muskegee, yeah, which is where he started to smell. <laughs> so I'd like to give a couple of honourable mentions before I start. There have been loads, loads of micro-states, micro-nations, little kind of independence movements in the US over the years. Not just the obvious... Well, there's one, there's one you might have heard of, Tom, which was the Civil War. That happened, that was a no, thing. doesn't ring a bell. No, uh, no. Well, I thought some people might have heard of it. So uh, so I decided not to do that one. But most of these microstates fizzled out after two or three years and consisted of maybe a town or two between state or national borders, particularly uh, between kind of Spanish possessions and American possessions or Canadian possessions and American possessions. But there are one or two which was just launched by crazy people, independence-minded nutcases, because why just be free, Tom, when you can be ultra-free and have your own country? Freer. More free. Freer. Freest. So I'd like to give an honourable mention first off to the Republic of Vermont. Okay. Which was one of the more interesting ones. Because when the original 13 colonies rebelled against the British in the American Revolution, there was a 14th colony, Vermont, which didn't just declare against the British Empire, it also declared independence against New York. <laughs> oh, so it's just, rare, it's just raring for a fight. It was like, I've been waiting for this moment for fucking yeah, ages. absolutely. It declared independence against... Britain, New York, and New Hampshire. Oh, everyone, come on, bring it on. I'm going to take you all on. Bring, God, I'll have you all. I'll have you all. British and you wankers from New York. We've got Ben and Jerry's. What more do we need? <laughs> it was a reaction against perceived land grabs into the, into the territory of the towns around the area now known as Vermont. The rich landowners, rich British landowners... In, in some of the other states have basically been seizing land and handing it over to their family. Don't believe a word of it, Sam. Propaganda. British would never do such a thing. <laughs> no, absolutely not. But when I say Vermont was independent, it really was. It had armed militia groups known as the Green Mountain Boys who went around expelling American officials from the territory as well as sending troops to fight the British. And it, got, it was, it was recognised to a degree. It had official diplomatic relations with France and the Netherlands. And their long-term aim was always to be part of the USA, but as a self-governing state, not as a series of vassal townships to, to other bigger colonies. At one point, Vermont actually even sided against the rebels and made overtures to rejoin the British Empire. Best decision they ever made, Sam. Best decision they ever made. Best decision they ever made, absolutely. Welcome back, boys. Welcome back. Although, as the war turned in the colonists' favour, they pretty much abandoned that idea and instead demanded recognition as the 14th state. And they were independent from 1777 to 1791. They're actually a very advanced country. It had its own currency, the Vermont Copper. It had its own postal service. And it had a constitution which banned slavery and was 
the first part of America to do so. And another honourable mention, Tom, to the Republic of Molossia, which is a micronation that is still going today. Ooh. It's a self-declared military dictatorship based in and around Dayton, Nevada. It's bordered by the USA on all sides, unsurprisingly, and consists of four houses. They're, they're not all joined together, so there's quite a lot of America between them all, on about six acres of land in total. It's ruled right. with an iron fist by President Kevin Bauer, or Bohr, who declared independence in 1977, though the modern republic wasn't formed until 1999. It has a population wow. of 24 and 12 dogs. Its official language is Esperanto. <laughs> right. And is. is officially at war with East Germany still. Excellent. So there and you I, go. <laughs> and how many people do you think did, did you say they could muster? Twenty-four permanent right. inhabitants. Watch out, East Germany. Not Absolutely, that you still exist. yeah. <laughs> Not that it still exists. No. <laughs> but, you know. War was declared after international provocations because uh, President Kevin was frequently awoken by East German military drills when he was stationed there as a tr- as a soldier. So he's declared that as an act of war. I've heard of this type of person, Sam. I've heard of this type of person. Are they called mentalists? There's, there's a technical term for them. What is it? Twat. That was it. <laughs> twat. They're called twats. Well, quite possibly. I'm sure he's a lovely man, El Presidente. But yes, among all of these dozens of, of nutty and strange states that have kind of existed over the years, there's one which really stuck out to me, Tom, and that is the state of Muskogee, which was an independent nation in what is now Florida, made up of a combination of Native Americans exiled colonists, exiled Spanish colonists, quite a few pirates, uh, and an awful lot of escaped slaves, escaped black slaves, which got international recognition from Britain thanks to its charismatic leader, founder and linchpin, a guy called William Augustus Bowles. Strong name. Strong name. Great name. Not pronounced Bowles? It could be Bowles. (laughs) Could be Bowles. William... August Bowles, yes. (laughs) (laughs) Now, that's a title only really given to the President of the Republic of Molossia, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> his August, his August bowels. <laughs> <clears throat> Members of the court, please pay attention. I'm going to produce a venerable fart. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> May the wind pass auspiciously between his cheeks. <laughs> All hail. <laughs> Yes. So Bowles was a loyalist born in Maryland and he joined the British Army in 1778 as a junior officer aged just 14 years old and was garrisoned... I'm just, I'm just giggling, sorry, I'm just giggling about Augustus Bowles. He's still giggling about... Bending Aug- over on his throne, revealing, <laughs> revealing his buttocks. <laughs> we will consult the oracle. Bend over. <laughs> <laughs> Should we go to war? He's eaten corn. The augurs bode well. <laughs> oh dear. And, and trumping, actually. Sammy could have a good yes. trump. Trump, by the way, British slang for fart. Yes. <laughs> now there's a guy with august bowels. I would like to introduce President Bottom Burp. <laughs> They'll get the best bowels, the most august bowels. Everybody says so. That's a good impression. That's a, terrible That's a very good impression. That's a terrible, terrible Donald oh, I Trump. I thought that was good. Do it again. Do it again. <laughs> and just say huge. Oh, I'm not. Huge. huge. No, I can't do it now. Do it again. More, 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 more. That's an excellent impression. <laughs> no, I can't. No, leave want- always leave him wanting more time. I can't. I, can't I don't know where to start with Donald Trump. So at age 14. Bowles, Bowles, joined the army and was garrisoned in a place called Penascola in Bowel Florida. Bowles don't sound very Bowel nice, bowls. do they? <laughs> no. <laughs> it sounds like something you get at hospital when you've got dysentery. <laughs> One of those little kind of cardboard things yeah. that looks a bit like a kidney, yeah. Like a kidney shape, yeah, that's a bowel bowl. <laughs> so pretty quickly, Bowles was booted out of the army for insubordination and generally being a bit of a tit. And fled north to live among the Native American tribes which was not uncommon at the time. There was an awful lot more intermingling between Native Americans and colonists at this time than, uh, than we like to think. And, and a lot of them had very warm relations and were, were actually quite quite friendly. Particularly those who were talented fathers. Particularly those with august bowels. So he fled to... <laughs> so he fled north to live among the Native American tribes and he very quickly found himself very much more at home than he'd been in the army. He became fluent in several of their languages 
and married twice. He married a Cherokee and a Muscogee wife at the same time, which may or may not have been common. No one's really sure how unusual it was. But anyway, in the process, he became heir apparent to one of the local chieftains and closely related to several more in the process. So you ended up with this guy who was a British colonist in America who has now now found himself the chief of a Native American tribe. Mm. He became very feared and respected as a warrior, and aged just 16, he led a war band in the Battle of Penascola, which was in the year 1781, in which the Spanish, knowing that the British were kind of doomed in the, uh, in the War of Independence, started to invade Florida and captured loads of towns and British possessions in Florida. So he led a group on the British side, and by all counts, did did very very well. There should be a film made, and I reckon Kevin Costner should play him. Oh, very good. It should be called Dances with Wolves. <laughs> Dances with Wind, I think, is the. Uh... <laughs> so, Bow. <laughs> keep on calling him Bowles now, for fuck's sake. Bowles <laughs> became something of an outcast, flitting uh, between America, the Bahamas, and Britain, where he returned fairly frequently. Whilst in America on his frequent sojourns to the States, he spent his time forming war parties to attack trading posts in Spanish-held Florida. During this time, he began to form the idea of maybe having some kind of Native American and British combined separatist state, which would act as a stopper to the USA, which was rapidly expanding south, and also cause trouble for the Spanish. And this idea went down very well in Britain. Very well indeed. He was appointed by George III as the chief of the embassy for the Creek and Cherokee nations. So he was given, considering he was a British army deserter to all intents and purposes, he was held in pretty high regard for for what he was doing over in Florida. So this pissed off the Spanish no end, and they put a huge bounty on his head. $6,000 and 1,500 kegs of rum for his capture. Which is an awful lot of rum, considering Elmer was pretty happy with uh, $40 and two bottles of scotch. Absolutely. He's, uh... <laughs> I mean, this guy's got fucking coconut chocolate bars all over his head. See what I did there? I was a bounty joke. <laughs> That's, it was good, wasn't it? Very good. So eventually, and knowing he couldn't win independence outright, William went off and put his idea of a, a by now neutral independent buffer state to the Spanish, which he did in January 1972. I, unsurprisingly given that he'd been raiding their territory with Native American war parties for the last couple of years, and up until this point, miraculously now had decided that it was going to be a neutral state, had quite openly been anti-Spanish and had fought against the Spanish, the Spanish were somewhat mm, suspicious of his motives. So uh, instead of entertaining the idea of an independent state, they arrested him. Now, the Spanish knew that no ordinary wooden stockade would do to imprison a separatist with a loyal local following and significant military experience. So they pretty quickly got him the hell out of Dodge, Tom. First off, they took him to Cuba. Then they shipped him off all the way back to Europe and to Madrid, where he was personally petitioned by King Carlos IV to change sides and to fight for the Spanish against the British and the US. So he was held in serious regard this guy they wanted him yeah they wanted him they wanted him him on their side he was headhunted used his LinkedIn profile yeah yeah he was he was on fire on his LinkedIn profile Um, and when he refused he was eventually shipped all the way out to Manila in the Philippines so a real world tour of penal colonies and (laughs) (laughs) they were very keen to get this guy away as far away from Florida as, as they possibly possibly could but here's where his adventure really begins Tom because the Spanish were right not to trust someone as troublesome as William Bowles. And whilst he was being transported from Manila back to Spain for another prison swap, he managed to escape and managed to steal a ship which was headed for Africa. Oh, good man. Precisely that, yeah. So he managed to steal this ship. I I couldn't find out whether it was single-handedly. I suspect not, because you can't really sail a large sailing ship single-handedly. Or whether he had some kind of loyalist friends. And if if the ship was heading to Africa, I suspect he might have freed some slaves to help crew it, because that's the kind of thing that, uh, that he did. Anyway, he sailed first for Britain, then for Nassau to gather supporters, before eventually sailing back to Florida. And he landed in, I'm going to pronounce this wrong, Apalachocola Bay. Apalachicola Bay, I think it's called, in the middle of 1799, after seven years being a prisoner on the run, and immediately declared the independence of the Muscogee Nation with himself as the Commander-in-Chief and Director-General. Slightly odd title to give himself, because if there's one thing we know about Native Americans, Tom, it's there are 
absolute sticklers for maintaining a corporate management structure. (laughs) They're all about the business cards. And the titles, yeah? Yes. Executive, super... CFOs, COOs. Well, you know what I like, Sam? I like people who are self-employed and they are the only person in their business and they call themselves managing director. Because you know what I think? There's a word... No, there's a name for them. I can't remember what that name... It was technical... Twats. That's what it is, Sam. (laughs) Twats. As someone who is the sole employee and managing director of a company, Tom, I fully agree. (laughs) You don't call yourself managing director, do you? You don't have business cards. I think it says that on my business card. No. Hang on. Let me just double check. Yeah. Well, we know what we're flipping next week. (laughs) (laughs) It does indeed say Sam Dasapaulin, managing director. No, you didn't. (laughs) Oh, No. Sorry. Managing director. It makes you sound like you've got a massive boardroom and huge numbers of minions. What I actually have is a tiny bedroom and a microphone. (laughs) (laughs) So anyway, in 1799, the Muscogee Nation was declared independent under the guidance of Director General (laughs) William Bowles. (laughs) Senior executive officer. <laughs> yes, senior vice president marketing. Yeah. Now, he actually did have a, a fairly sound legal grounding for declaring independence. So he said that a treaty in 1796 between the US and Spain, which had split up this part of Florida, was null and void because it completely ignored the Native American claims and sovereignty on the land, which is fair enough. The colonial powers don't have a fantastic reputation for sticking to the word of the law when it comes to dividing up land that yeah, may or may not have been owned by other people for... 10 or 20,000 years. <laughs> and he immediately threatened to declare war on both sides unless they returned the seized lands to their rightful owners. So that's a bold move. That's a bold move, Cotton, threatening to yeah. declare war on Spain and the US simultaneously. It should be noted, however, that Britain was at war at this point with France and Spain in the Revolutionary Wars, and that conflict was still being played out in their respective colonies around the world. So he had plenty of British support to help annoy the Spaniards. Uh, He pretty quickly brought off any tribes and chieftains that weren't loyal to him with enormous, vast quantities of gunpowder and other luxury items, and promises of an awful lot more once they got back to his normal day job of light piracy and raiding trading posts. He also pissed off a lot of local landowners by welcoming with open arms any and all escaped black slaves, as well as more than a few buccaneers and Spanish deserters. So we've talked before in another episode of the podcast about piracy in the Spanish main and in and around Florida. There were a huge number of privateers and buccaneers out to make a quick buck, and quite a few of them flocked to this very well-funded, quite well-run little nation who basically existed off piracy. There was an awful lot of money to be made. They did have some initial setbacks. The Spanish attacked and forced them to relocate their capital city pretty early on, but they got a very strong foothold in the area under Bowles' leadership. It turns out he was enormously charismatic. Despite having been kicked out of the army, he was very good as a commander and soldier, and being married into the local tribes and knowing their languages and customs, he could get shit done and bring people together. A lot of British adventurers from the Bahamas sailed over and were offered very cushy government jobs as administrators and governors. With nice business cards. In, with very nice business cards. Beautiful, uh, what do they call them? Vellum. Vellum business cards. Nicely textured. Hammered textured lad paper. Mmm, yeah, lovely. Worth, worth paying a little bit extra for, isn't it, Sam? Absolutely. Quality, Tom, counts. Represents your brand, doesn't it? You don't get a second chance to make a first impression, Tom. No, you don't, you don't want a sort of biro scrawling on a piece of toilet paper, do you? You want something that looks classy. I tried that. Didn't work. <laughs> That's the problem, Tom. You're writing it on toilet paper rather than toilet walls. <laughs> uh, thank you very much. They even got to the stage where they had a small navy. They built three ships and had an awful lot of success raiding Spanish shipping in and around the Gulf, which obviously got the Spanish incredibly angry. And they sent several expeditions to destroy this young nation. I gave a few thousand people in each one, but somehow every single time the Spanish expedition failed. And all of this time, the Republic was getting more and more powerful. It was bringing in more tribes, more deserters. It was growing its little economy. It was doing really very well and doing an awful lot of trade as well. And in that time in Florida, most of the economy was not agriculture. It was based on trade with Native Americans for furs and skins and meat and that kind of thing. And this trade was pretty quickly being sapped up 
by the Muscogee Nation. Unfortunately, it couldn't last. And actually, it was somewhat ironically peace that was the undoing of this nation. In 1802, in March 1802, the Treaty of Amiens was signed, which brought the Revolutionary Wars in Europe to a temporary halt, which also meant that the wars between Britain and Spain in America were temporarily halted. This had two effects. Firstly, Spain could concentrate a bit more on the efforts to fight Bowles and the Muscogee Nation. And secondly, British support for the state of Muscogee dried up really quite quickly. And within months, a lot of the chieftains under the state signed private peace treaties with the Spanish and split off. And the whole lot started to unravel. Collapse, yeah. Yeah, and Bowles was left without much support. His followers felt he betrayed them with promises of riches and independence, which now clearly were never going to happen. And whilst all of this was going on, the US began to talk quite surreptitiously, but, but publicly with Spain, about breaking up this troublesome little state. And in 1803, a trap was laid. There was a guy called Benjamin Hawkins, who's quite famous in the US. He was an American Indian agent, which is kind of like an ambassador to several Native American tribes. I would like to bring peace to your country. Oh, not Stephen Hawkins. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. I, I, I thought it seemed a bit odd. A chap in a wheelchair driving across the desert as a, <laughs> offering peace. Easy mistake to make. Try, narrowly avoiding buffalo. Or just riding in on one. I'd say that. <laughs> or just riding in, perched on the back of a buffalo. I don't know how I got here. Yes. Anyway, <laughs> Stephen Hawking's brother, Benjamin Hawkins, <laughs> turned up. doesn't even have the same surname. It doesn't even have the same name, no. <laughs> yeah, but I've just, uh, I've just heard you pronounce it and realised... But I let you have your fun. <laughs> <laughs> Benjamin Hawkins absolutely hated bowls. They despised each other. Benjamin Hawkins basically set a trap for William Bowles, inviting him to talks in a town called Tuckabatchee, which is in modern Alabama. Sweet home Alabama, where the skies are blue. And once he was there, he captured Bowles and handed him over to the Spanish. Simple as. And that was the end. Bowles died two years later, having gone on hunger strike in his jail cell in Cuba. He was just 42 years old. And without the support of the UK and with Spain and the USA knocking on its door, and with their charismatic leadership now gone, the state collapsed really pretty quickly around the end of 1803. So it lasted just a few months after he was captured again. And the tribes all went their separate ways. The US pretty quickly moved in to take over. But for a brief period of four years, a state of around 60,000 British, native, black, Spanish, pirate outcasts terrorised Florida from their little independent nation and proved that in the US Pretty much anything really is possible if you put your mind to it. Aww. I've written that down at the end so I can give a kind of a heartwarming, sickening, yeah, positive I did. American ending yeah. to it. Yeah, there's a bit of vomit in the back of my throat as well. <laughs> uh, anyway, that, that was fantastic. That was very, very interesting. Very interesting. Yeah. I need to find out more about American history, Sam, and that was a wonderful start. So do start. I. Wonderful so do start. I. Well, I tell you what, if any of our listeners have recommendations for a good podcast on American history... We would love to hear them. We have an email address, which I haven't shouted out about in ages, which is thatwasgeniuscast at gmail.com. So do send us an email. Let us know if you know any good American history podcasts, because I, I would really like to listen some more and discover some more about America. I get the impression that Americans know a lot about their history. So if we've got anything wrong, get in touch as well. I'd be interested no, to hear don't. if you've got any... no, don't, so, don't. No, that's a rabbit no, hole. Sorry. No, no that's a rabbit hole. <laughs> Or actually, do tell us we got something wrong, but leave us in suspense. Don't tell us what. Just <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, no, because no, we know. We know we've got something wrong. There's bound to be something wrong in this podcast. Every single week. I think the, the biggest mistake is that we make it. <laughs> oh, that's pretty much it for America Week, isn't it? I think, I think it think. is. I've got nothing else to Would say. Would you like to do a last little accent? Would you want? Do you want to do one last little American accent before we go? Okay. What should we, What shall I do? I tell you what. I let's read? pick next week's topic in an American accent. What sort of American accent? You got any ideas for maybe a little podcast we can do next week? Oh, I see. We're going for one of those um, accents, are we, Sam? Oh, what are we going to do next week? Mm, mm, bushel bridges? Ah. <laughs> I don't know what bushel bridges are, but it's in Robin Hood. I don't know, but it's a great insult from uh, the original Disney Robin Hood. That's exactly right, yeah. Bushel bridges? It's what Robin Hood calls the uh, Sheriff of Nottingham. <laughs> All right, Tom. I tell, I tell you what, bushel bridges. Next week, why don't we do 
Disney films. Oh my, I say what a fantastic idea, Sam. Let's do some Disney films. Yeah, so like either the real stories behind Disney films or... Oh, yes. Excellent, Sam, because one of the things I'd considered was... Sorry, I'm not doing an American accent. I'll try another one. It's all right. You're doing Dick Van Dyke trying to do British again. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'll do Dick Van Dyke. What was I going to say? I'm too confused. It's all right. We've gone meta. We've gone too far down <laughs> the rabbit hole now. We're doing an American doing a British accent, trying to do an impression of... Yeah. Yeah, this is yeah, very tricky. Okay, I need to warm myself up. Step in time. Sam, <laughs> I, thought, I thought we could maybe do fairy tales. Sam, I've merged into something else now. Yeah, okay, fairy tale, yeah. Sh- we could do Chicago gangster accents. I'm not sure we can. <laughs> I can't, I've been doing... Uh, uh, what was Chicago hey. accent? It was made It was made Sam. Why don't we do fairy tales? I think we could do fairy tales. Fairy tales? Fairy tales. Well, now you're just... I think now you're just doing Elmer Fudd. <laughs> <laughs> I thought I thought a pussycat. I did, I did, I did. <laughs> That's Sweetie Bird. You're just... Oh, firstly, they're not Disney. Sorry. Secondly, sorry. you are absolutely flying through the Warner Brothers characters today whilst trying to be a Chicago gangster. <laughs> As I'm standing on the corner. That wabbit. <laughs> that, that was quite film noir, wasn't it? Uh, yeah, that was there? what I was going for. Yeah, I was going yeah, for a bit of a... Very nice. She was a broad with legs right down from her hips to her feet. I was like, that was straight out of Naked Gun, that was. <laughs> yeah, wasn't that it? That was straight out of Naked Gun. If I could describe my sense of humour in two words, those words would be naked and gun. It'd be Leslie Nielsen. <laughs> yeah. Excellent. I, my, one of my favourite scenes is when there's a love scene. Leslie Nielsen <laughs> takes his shirt off and the shot changes to a, to a back view. <laughs> it's an oiled-up bodybuilder with a grey wig. It's <laughs> <laughs> just... Everything in all of those films is it's unbelievably good. Very, um, they must have been, uh, they must have been exhausting to make. Exhausting. But I funny. absolutely, absolutely love them. Yeah, I'm, just, I'm crying with laughter. I actually, when I, whenever I watch the Naked Gun films, or pretty much any Leslie Nielsen film, to be honest, Airplane is another absolute classic. Yeah. I literally, when by the time the film is finished, I've got a headache because I'm so lightheaded <laughs> from laughing so hard. Naked Gun, outstanding. We're going to do Disney films next week, and that kind of yeah, Disney films or fairy tales, yeah, yeah, it kind of incorporates fairy tales as well. I think that's a fantastic idea. Yeah, I'll roll with that. Superb, marvelous. Well, I hope you have enjoyed this podcast. If you have, please do give us a like. Please subscribe to us. Uh, if you use an app where you can leave reviews, so uh, Apple Music podcasts, anything like that, please do. Preferably five star. If not, go fuck yourself. <laughs> We don't want honest. (laughs) What's a word for people that don't give a five star review but sort of give a three? Damn, what is it? It starts with twats, Tom. It's twats. If you've got nothing good to say, you know, don't say anything. We don't want your honesty. On that note, we will see you all next week. Have a wonderful week. Yes. And come back next week for a lovely delve into fairy tales. See you later.